Let's open our Bibles together at this time to the book of Acts, chapter 18, and verse 24. Acts 18, 24, for our message from God's Word this morning. If you're using the church Bible, Acts 18, 24 will be found on page 1175, if you need a little help finding Acts 18.24. Today's date is February 26th, 2023. Today's text will begin in Acts 18.24 and not only go on down through to the end of the chapter, but we'll go on down through chapter 19 and verse 7. And the title of this morning's message is The Perfecting of a Bookworm. The Perfecting of a Bookworm. And we begin with the story of a man who saw a book in a bookstore one day that was called How to Solve 50% of All Your Problems. He bought two of them. (laughs) And then another man was in that same bookstore and a really big, heavy book fell off of the top shelf and hit him in the head. It was a shelf-inflicted injury. (laughs) Shelf-inflicted injury. Another man was, and we've got a short message today, so I got time for a couple of these. Lucky you. Another man was reading a book about the life of Henry Ford. It was an Autobiography. <laughs> and there's the man who read a book called 100 Things to Do Before You Die. And he was surprised that yelling for help wasn't one of them. <laughs> they keep yell for help. Finally, there was a man who wrote a book about poltergeists and it really sold well I mean copies were flying off the shelf shelf. well the reason we're talking about books is that here in Acts 18 we're about to meet a bookworm named Apollos the story begins in Acts 18.24, where we read these words. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Now, to begin with, you're probably wondering why I call Apollos, a bookworm. Well, did you notice he's from the city of 
Alexandria. And Alexandria was a city in Egypt that was home to the largest, most famous library in all the ancient world. I've seen different estimates of how many books they had, but some say up to a million books in the library at Alexandria. And Apollos may have read some of them, but the reason that I'm calling him a bookworm is that he was mighty in the scriptures. And you don't get to be mighty in the scriptures without being a bookworm who spends all of his time reading the most important book, the Word of God. And Apollos was good at expressing the Word of God too because it says in verse 24 that he was also an eloquent man. And my dictionary says that eloquence is the ability to speak with emotion and with an ability to arouse the emotions of other people when you speak. And that'll match something that we read about Apollos in the next verse in your Bible, in verse 25. Speaking of Apollos, it said, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Now that word fervent there, when it says Apollos was fervent in spirit, that word means hot in my dictionary and if you look at what Peter said in 2 Peter 3.10, he predicts that someday the elements will melt with fervent heat. So we would call Apollos a, a, a fiery orator, right? I picture Apollos like Hitler. <laughs> when I watch those old newsreels of Hitler giving a speech... I can't understand a word that boy is saying because he's preaching or speaking in German. <laughs> but boy, he really goes at it, doesn't he? he? He could obviously arouse the emotions of his people. But unlike Hitler, verse 25 says that Apollos was instructed in the way of the Lord. <clears throat> And that exact phrase, the way of the Lord, that's used about a dozen times in the Old Testament portion of your Bible. So what it's saying here about Apollos is that he knew the Old Testament really well. And that means that he knew that Israel's king and kingdom were coming someday, right? Because that's what the Old Testament's all about. And then, verse 25 says, somewhere along the line, Apollos heard about the baptism of John the Baptist. And that means that he knew what John the Baptist preached. In your next reference in Mark 1, 
verses 4 and 15. John did preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. That's what baptism was for, salvation. He preached that saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And listen, when Apollos heard John preach that, he knew that the kingdom he'd been reading about all his life in the Old Testament Scriptures there was finally at hand. And that meant it was time to quit reading about the kingdom and go out and preach it. It was time to quit being a bookworm and become a man of action. So, he came to Ephesus and started preaching the baptism of John in the streets of Ephesus. And he started preaching what John preached. The the time is fulfilled. Time's up. The kingdom's at hand. But verse 25 says that's all he knew. And if all John, all Apollos knew was the, the baptism of John, then he didn't know that later on John met the king of the kingdom and started pointing people to him. And he didn't know that the Jews rejected their king when they crucified him, and they rejected their kingdom when they stoned Stephen. And then after that, God put the kingdom program on hold and the kingdom was no longer at hand. He didn't know that. But he's about to meet up with some grace believers who knew all of that in the next verse in your Bible, in verse 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom... When Aquila and Priscilla had heard him, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Now, Aquila and Priscilla, you'll remember from our scripture reading, they were that husband and wife team that gave the Apostle Paul a job making tents back in Corinth. And he led them to the Lord while they were sewing those tents together. And he taught them all the things that Apollos didn't know. And when they went to teach Apollos what Paul had taught them, then it says that Priscilla and Aquila took Paul unto them. There in verse, uh, took Paul. Took Uh, what's his name? Apollos unto them there in verse 26. Now, that means they didn't embarrass him in the synagogue that day. They didn't let him preach in the synagogue and then stand up and say, where have you been for the past 20 years? (laughs) Haven't you heard the kingdom that you're saying is at hand is on hold? They didn't do that. Instead, it says, they, they took him unto them, maybe even into their homes, 
in some sort of private setting to, to bring him up to speed. And bringing him up to speed meant telling him what God did about it when the Jews rejected their kingdom. How He made Paul an apostle and sent him to preach the remission of sins without water baptism. And we know that Apollos must have took it all in because later on he became one of Paul's co-workers in the ministry. And you know what that shows you about Apollos? It tells you what a humble man of God he was. I mean, he could have said, who do these tent makers think they are to teach me anything? Don't they know I'm mighty in the scriptures? Don't they know I'm instructed in the way of the Lord? <laughs> no, he didn't do any of that. Instead, he sat humbly at their feet, and because of that, he learned the way of God more perfectly, didn't he? You know, we can learn something from that. If you ever get to thinking that you know too much about the Bible, to learn about the Bible from someone who you don't think knows as much about the Bible as you do, well, they can stick a fork in you because you're done, spiritually speaking. A lot of times when I'm emailing with people about the Bible, I tell them that I believe I'm being honest when I tell you that I am open to your position, whatever you're trying to convince me of. And you should always be that way too, folks. But now remember, Apollos is a man of action. So now that he knows the way of God more perfectly, he's going to go help some other people learn the word of God more perfectly. So back in your Bible now, it says in the next verse, in verse 27, when Apollos was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. Once Apollos felt disposed or inclined, that's what that word means, once Apollos felt inclined to go help these brethren in Achaia, the brethren in Ephesus where he was wrote a letter of recommendation for him to take with him. You may remember when we ordained Brother Paul Ballback to the ministry that I said that that's all an ordination certificate is. It's a letter of recommendation from a church that says, we recommend this guy to the ministry. That means that after Aquila and Priscilla got Apollos all straightened out, he must have hung around there in Ephesus long enough for the, the Ephesian church to to get to know him and feel comfortable enough writing that letter of recommendation. Now, we're not told why Apollos was disposed to pass into Achaia, 
But if I had to guess, I bet it was because Priscilla and Aquila told him that the brethren in Achaia needed his help. You see, Apollos went to this Achaian city of Corinth. That's where he went in Achaia. You know that because if you just glance on down to the first verse of chapter 19, it came to pass that while Apollos was in Corinth. What did we learn about what happened in Corinth in our scripture reading this morning in the earlier part of Acts 18? Those unsaved Jews in Corinth took the Apostle Paul to court trying to sick the law on him for preaching that Jesus was Israel's Christ. And as I said at the time, after Paul left the city of Corinth, you can bet your bottom dollar that those Jews started persecuting the church that he started in Corinth. And once Aquila and Priscilla told Apollos about that persecution that was going on there, he decided to go to Achaia and do what it says at the end of verse 27. Help them much through those who had believed through grace. And the way that Apollos helped those grace believers is found in the last verse of the chapter in verse 28. For, how did he help them? For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was their Christ. Now remember that word for at the beginning of the verse, that, that tells you that the way Apollos helped those grace believers was not by teaching them more of the grace message. Hey folks, they'd known the grace message longer than he had. No, it says the way that he helped the grace believers was by convincing those unsaved Jews that Jesus was their Christ. And that made those unsaved Jews stop persecuting the church when they believed and got saved. I don't know about you, but I would find it very helpful if the, the violent unsaved men who beat a man in open court stopped persecuting me and stopped beating me in open court. <laughs> Verse 28 actually says that he was, he was able to mightily convince them because he was mighty in the scriptures that identified Jesus as their Christ, Right? See how God used him that day? Because he knew the Word of God. And we know that a lot of those Jews must have got saved and joined the Corinthian church. Because later on, Paul wrote the Corinthian church and said, in your next reference in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Paul planted the seeds of the gospel in Corinth when he was there, when he told them, Jesus is your Christ. And Apollos watered that seed when he mightily convinced them that Jesus was their Christ. You know what you could learn from that? You can learn that sometimes, even a great apostle Paul, when he's trying to share Christ with people, 
He can't, he can do more, nothing more than plant a seed. He couldn't get past the fact that Jesus was the Christ, let alone tell them that, that Christ had died for their sins. Well, by now you might be wondering what's Paul up to during all this stuff about Apollos. Well, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he gets back to tracking Paul's ministry in the 19th chapter, where it says in the first three verses, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, well then, unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Now, when verse 1 says that Paul came to Ephesus, what you're seeing there is Paul keeping a promise. Remember, last week we saw, and in our scripture reading we saw, when he left Ephesus, he said what General MacArthur said when he left the Philippines, right? What did he say? I shall return. Only Paul added, I shall return God willing, right? <laughs> well, I guess God was willing because here he is back in Ephesus. But the reason Paul asked those guys if they'd receive the Holy Ghost since they believed is, is because of what it says in Acts 2. Verses 1 to 41 there, where Peter, uh, well, he talked about, well, Luke talked about, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, then Peter said, Be baptized for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jews who got baptized at Pentecost got saved. And you could tell they got saved because they began to speak in tongues, right? And these guys here that Paul met in Acts 19, they probably weren't speaking in tongues. So Paul naturally asked them, what were you baptized unto? And when they answered by saying that, well, we haven't heard that there be such a thing as a Holy Ghost, that means they must have, they must have stayed home from church on the day of Pentecost, right? See what happens when you don't come to church? You never know what you're going to miss. <laughs> but now, we know these guys were Jews because, as we're going to see in a minute, John the Baptist only baptized Jews. And if they were Jews, well, they should have known about the Holy Ghost because they should have read all the references to the Holy Ghost in their Old Testament Jewish scriptures. But you know what? 
the mystery is mentioned in a lot of New Testament scriptures. And how many times have you talked to Christians who never heard of it? <laughs> I mean, if you, if you ask most Jews today if the Old Testament mentions that God had a son, most of them would say no, but the Old Testament does mention God's son at least two times that I can think of. So what I'm getting at is it's not impossible that these Jews had never heard of the Holy Ghost. Now, you'd think it was impossible if they were baptized by John because of what John said in Matthew 3.11. Matthew 3.11, John said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He'll baptize you with what? The Holy Ghost. <laughs> well, if John talked about the Holy Ghost when he baptized people, you would think these guys here who were baptized by John would have heard of the Holy Ghost, right? But here's the thing. That there in Matthew 3.11, that's what John preached later in his ministry. When he first started preaching, he didn't mention the Holy Ghost. As you see in, well, this encapsulation of his ministry in John 1, 19-28. John says, this is the record of John the Baptist. This is his story. When the Jews sent to ask him, who art thou? He confessed, I am not the Christ. I baptize you with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I'm not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now, now let me ask you, do you see anything in that passage there about the Holy Ghost? No! He didn't even mention that Christ was coming in that early part of his ministry. If he had, they wouldn't be asking him if he's the Christ, and he wouldn't have to be denying it. Does that make sense? He didn't mention that Christ was coming until after they asked him if he was the Christ. That means he didn't mention Christ would come and baptize them with the Holy Ghost until after they asked him if he was Christ. So these Jews here in Acts 19 who never heard of the Holy Ghost, they must have been baptized by John before he mentioned the Holy Ghost, before he started talking about it. But you know what that means? That means these guys here in Acts 19 didn't know that Christ came. So Paul knew they needed a spiritual update in a spiritual way if they didn't even know that the king of the kingdom had come. So as we read on in your Bible in verse 6, the Apostle Paul starts to, to give him that, that spiritual update. It says in verse, uh, no, wait a minute. No, verse 4. I'm sorry, I had the wrong verse. In verse 4, 
Then said Paul, having heard they were baptized under the baptism of John, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So in other words, he updated them a little bit. After you got done hearing what uh, John said, he went on to talk about Christ Jesus. Then in verse 5, when they heard John say that, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Paul, what he's doing here is he's telling these disciples, this is where you guys are at. You heard John say that you had to be baptized to be saved, so you got baptized. But now you need the Holy Ghost if you want to be fully caught up with God's program. So now in verse 6, we see he gave them the Holy Ghost. Back in your Bible again in verse 6, when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. And now they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, here we have to ask why Paul would help Jewish kingdom saints get an upgrade in the kingdom program. I mean, he wasn't their apostle. He was a member of the body of Christ. He was a grace believer. And the answer to that question is, why wouldn't he? Didn't we just see a kingdom saint named Apollos help some grace believers? Well, sure. Folks, just because God had two different programs going on at the same time there didn't mean they didn't get along with each other and didn't help each other. I've asked you many times, if God left you behind at the rapture, wouldn't you help the, the new crop of Jewish kingdom saints that are going to rise up in the tribulation? Sure you would. You don't have to worry about that. Don't, look, don't give me that look. <laughs> when, when it comes to the rapture, God has the same policy as the Marine Corps. No man left behind. Amen? <laughs> and, and you've got God's word on that through the Apostle Paul. But now... The way that I just read verses 4 and 5, that's not the way that they're usually read, is it? Let me read them again in the way they're usually read. Verse 4 says, Then said Paul to these guys, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard Paul say this, the Jews here in Acts 19 got baptized in the name of the Lord. That's the way it's usually read. In other words, most Christians believe and teach that Paul rebaptized those Jews after John baptized them the first time. But the problem with that is that John baptized for the remission of sins, for salvation. Isn't that what it says in your next reference? 
I repeated it. So important. Mark 1.4, John did baptize and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And hey, you only need to get the remission of sins once. You only need to get saved once. So there was no reason for Paul to baptize these guys again. If Paul did rebaptize them, they would be the only people in the Bible who were rebaptized. And uh, that includes some of the twelve apostles themselves. Did you know that at least two that we know of, two of the twelve, were baptized by John? Look what it says in your next reference. John one thirty-five to 42. John the Baptist stood... And two of his disciples, John, had disciples before the Lord came along. John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Ah, behold the Lamb of God. And the two of his disciples heard him speak. And they followed Jesus. One of the two which heard John speak and followed the Lord, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We found the Messiah! And he brought him to Jesus. And then Simon Peter and Andrew became the Lord's disciples. But here's the thing. Andrew and Peter were baptized by John, or they couldn't have been his disciples. They were baptized by John for the remission of sins before they met the Lord. So the Lord knew he didn't have to rebaptize them because they were already saved by the baptism of John. And these Jews here in Acts 19 were baptized by the baptism of John, so they didn't need to be rebaptized either because they were already saved by the baptism of John. They just needed a spiritual update with the Holy Ghost. And listen, the Apostle Paul was the man for the job. <laughs> I mean, as an Apostle, he had the ability to lay hands on people and let them have the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Now, finally, there's a reason in verse 7 there at the end of our passage, there's a reason that we're told how many there were. It says, and all the men that... Uh, Uh, heard Paul that day were about 12. Now the reason we're told this is the number 12 is always connected to the people of Israel in the Bible. They had 12 tribes in the Old Testament, 12 apostles in the New Testament, and those 12 apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones in the kingdom of heaven on earth in the future. And what that does, that's emphasizing how the baptism of John was a Jewish ceremony, folks. Despite all the Gentiles who want to get baptized today. But now, why would this path, let's connect the end of chapter 18 and the beginning of chapter 19 now, like I said. Why would this passage start out talking about 
one guy in chapter 18 who was stuck on the baptism of John, Apollos, knew only the baptism of John. And why would it end with 12 guys who were spiritually stalled on the baptism of John? What's the point of this passage? And I meditated on that all week because the passage is fairly straightforward to, to process. Well, why? And then the other day in the shower, <laughs> when I, do you, ever, do you ever have some of your best biblical thoughts in the shower? I don't know. And I, I, I think I figured out what it is. What you're seeing here, what you're seeing here is a picture of how this dispensation started and how it's going to end. The dispensation of grace started with believers who were stuck on water baptism and it's going to end with even more people, represented by the 12 guys here, stuck on water baptism. It started with people who had to make a break from the baptism of John when the dispensation changed, right? And it's going to end with people going back to the baptism of John. Look what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1 when the end of the dispensation of grace starts to come to pass. 1 Timothy 4 1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And folks, The faith that was given to Paul, that's what it's talking about there, was salvation without water baptism. And in the latter times of the dispensation of grace, some are going to depart from that faith. How will they depart? Well, look at the next reference, 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. In the last days, men will be having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Does water baptism have a form of godliness, a look of godliness about it? Sure it does. Now maybe you're thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor. Water baptism has been around for 2,000 years, so how how will they go back to it? Well, they're going to go back to saying it's for salvation. Most of them will say that today. And in 1 Timothy 4.1 where it says that some will depart from the faith, that word some there, that doesn't mean a few. If I were to... The dictionary gave me this example when I looked up the word some. If you asked me how far away a certain city is and I say, oh, that's some miles from here. Do I mean it's just a few miles from here? No! That's quite a bit. And in the Bible, this is something Brother Dave Stewart taught me years ago, in the Bible, that word some can even mean most. Let me give you a little Old Testament quiz. Weren't Joshua and Caleb the only ones who didn't provoke God in the wilderness? Right? Shake your head up and down. So why does it say... In Hebrews 3.16, some did provoke, howbeit not all, that came out of Egypt by Moses. Well, in that verse, 
the word some means almost everybody. Everybody but two. So in the latter times, when it says some will depart from the faith, I think almost everybody is going to depart from the faith and go back to to demanding baptism for salvation, as the Jews did. And I think we're seeing that pictured here with these 12 men. But when I once I got to thinking about that, I thought, well, you know what this passage is going to picture uh, happening in between the beginning of the dispensation of grace and the end? Look up at verse 1 again. What's going to happen between? What is happening between the beginning of this dispensation and the end. In verse 1, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus and found those disciples. In between the beginning of this dispensation and the end, Paul had to pass through the upper coasts to get to Ephesus. And it was to those very Ephesians who lived in Ephesus that Paul wrote what he wrote in Ephesians 4, 4 and 5. There's one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, the faith of salvation without water baptism, and one baptism. Now, you know there's a lot of baptisms in the Bible. And a lot of most of them don't have anything to do with water. <laughs> what Paul means when he says there's only one baptism, he means there's only one baptism today. Or at least should be. There's only one that God recognizes. It's the one you read about in 1 Corinthians 12. The one you get the moment you believe that Christ died for your sins and rose again. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, he says, For by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body, the body of Christ. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. That is the only faith and that is the only baptism that God recognizes today. And back in verse 1, did you notice in verse 1 there that Paul passed through the upper coasts to get to Ephesus? The upper coasts? You know, it was to the Ephesians that Paul said what he said in Ephesians 2, 4, and 6. God hath raised us, what's that next word? Up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Past tense, you're already, you're, you're in Christ, right? And where's he? He's up there in heavenly places. It's, and it's Paul who tells us that. He's the one who tells us we're already seated with Christ in the uppermost part of heaven. The third heaven. And that's something you see pictured in your last reference. We're going to see this in a few weeks or months or however long it takes us to get to Acts 20 verses 7 and 9. Paul preached and continued his speech until midnight, and in the upper chamber, so there's some symbolism going on here, where they were gathered together, they were having a heavenly meeting that night, 
There sat in a window a certain young man and being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from what? The third loft. And he was taken up dead. That, folks, we're going to see more details when we get there. That is a picture of how whenever the Apostle Paul preached, he brought his listeners into the heavenlies, into the uppermost chamber of heaven, into the third loft of the third heaven. And he told them, this is where our citizenship is. And we do that too when we preach Paul. But now that Paul's been preaching 2,000 years through us, Men are falling asleep to his preaching and pretty soon they'll fall asleep and they're going to fall from the third heaven into the apostasy that we're talking about here in the last days. And they're going to start demanding baptism for salvation again. And you're seeing that, I think, pictured here in Acts 18 and 19. But now one more thing in closing. There's something we can all learn from Apollos, and that is he was way behind in his understanding of God, wasn't he? But he boldly preached what he knew about God, didn't he? The point is, you may not know that much about the Bible. You may not know that much about God, but you preach what you know. I never preached Christ in a, in a synagogue like Apollos was bold enough to do, but you know what? I preached him in a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall many years ago when I was just a teenager. And I hadn't been saved for five years. You know, you actually know more than you think you know. <laughs> Do you know how many Christians there are who still only know the baptism of John? Well, you know enough to tell them that God has made some spiritual upgrades, don't you? And you can help them understand the Word of God more perfectly. Now, some of them that you meet are going to be mighty in the Scriptures and instructed in the way of the Lord, but don't let that intimidate you. He is as bold as Priscilla and Aquila, folks. And you know what will happen? The ones who are as humble as Apollos was and are willing to learn from you, they're going to learn the Word of God more perfectly. Did you know there's a good chance that Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews? I actually think that's who did it. Doesn't tell you. But he certainly would... The book of Hebrews is full of Hebrew stuff from the Old Testament, right? Well, he was mighty in those Old Testament scriptures. So this guy went on to write the book of Hebrews. And if you'll share the grace message with somebody, who knows what they'll go on to accomplish for the Lord. This morning we prayed about Dr. Bedore, and uh, it looked like he's going into hospice. It's very soon if he isn't. And I can remember his testimony. Uh, 
he, 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 he got saved. He went to a Bible college, went to a seminary, got, to, got a doctorate in theology. And then, what was that brother's name? I know him. Jerry Worthley used to run a Bible camp in Colorado that I used to go to preach at. Jerry starts sharing with Dr. Bedore the grace message. And well, he was, Dr. Bedore was mighty in the scriptures by that time. And he, and he told me, he says, I could answer every argument that Jerry brought up for the grace message. He said, but then when I stood back and looked at all of it, he says, well, <laughs> it's got to be the truth. There's too much. And all because Jerry wasn't afraid to talk to a guy who had a doctorate in theology. What do you say we pray about what we can do for the Lord? Heavenly Father, we usually thank you for Paul's boldness, and we do. But we thank you for Apollos' boldness. We thank you that he wasn't intimidated. Uh, I'm sorry, Priscilla and Aquila's boldness. We thank you that they weren't intimidated by this man that they heard in the synagogue that day and could tell he was mighty in the scriptures. They could tell he was instructed in the way of the Lord. And yet, they took their hat in their hand and sat down with him. Show them the word of God more perfectly. Help us to be like that, we pray. In the Savior's name, amen.